This is Free Gems, a podcast where we take a deep dive into life, the parts we've figured out, the pieces we haven't, and the gems found in between. I am your host, Aniafe Isis. Let's dig in. Share freely, mind irresponsibly. This season is entitled All the Everythings. Now, I'm new to this podcast landscape. I can honestly say that I never saw myself doing a podcast. Um, Fought it tooth and nail. And then one of the women in my online Instagram community reached out one day pretty much wrote me a dissertation on why I needed to do a podcast and it shifted my perspective and I decided why not let's try it out before we get into this first episode which I've entitled Mike Check I want to give some gratitude um I call them my triple threat three the hard way Damon Turner, Osha McCall, and Ashley Stewart. These three individuals have been guides in getting this vision out. My gratitude is deep, and I just wanted to officially, on the podcast airways, let them know how much I appreciate them. Thank you, thank you, thank you, truly, deeply. All right, let's officially get into it. Free Gym's podcast is brought to you by EXI Concepts a creative house specializing in building ideas. EXI Concepts is also one of my creative children, and this podcast is one of two concepts that myself as well as creative alliances have brought to light. The other concept, as many of you may know, is All Her Words, a digital platform that is dedicated to amplifying the voices of a fuller spectrum of women. Links to all the things will be provided at the end of each episode in the episode credits. So, the truth about gems, and when we say gems here, I'm talking about wisdom. I've often caught myself um, agreeing to and aligning with thoughts and perspectives and wisdom that when I really step back and I think about it, aren't really fitting for who I am and where I am at that point in time. But because a lot of information constantly is is coming to us, um, and a lot of this information are, you know, thoughts and and quotables that have become super popular and they ca- they're catchy and they sound good and they feel good, we instantly ascri- subscribe or I instantly subscribe. And then, like I said, it's not until I really step back and I really think about what that wisdom means and how it applies to who I am and where I am that I say, you know what, that actually doesn't fit me. It doesn't mean it's it's wrong. And it's not about a wrong and a right. It's like, is that for is that for me? And a lot of times it's a no. So. As you listen throughout this first season and the gems that are dropped and the wisdoms that are shared and the, the things that have worked 
for myself and guests. Take what resonates with you and for you where you are. The rest of it set on the table. Maybe you'll come back to it. Maybe it'll be for you later or maybe it won't be. So I just want to put that disclaimer out there. Um, Along with the disclaimer, share freely, mine irresponsibly. Wisdom and knowledge is a part of our power. It is not to be kept to ourselves. That's super important. When asked who I am, my most, the most accurate response to date has been, I am home. But also, I am my mother's daughter. I am my sister's sister. I am a girl who is breaking into herself and I'm learning my voice by using it. And I am a woman who's taking all the shots with herself. From the outside looking in, most of my life, people would say and ask Isis, why are you always doing so much? Why are you doing too much? Or not why, but that you are doing too much. I started really hearing that the most when I went to college. I attended Fordham University at Lincoln Center in New York City. My first year in college, I was still training with the Dance Theater of Harlem, um, as well as going to school. So I would train all day and then I would have all my classes at night. I also volunteered and I also did all sorts of other things. And again, the response was always ISIS. Why, why are you doing, you're, you're doing too much. Why are you doing all the things? And I internalized those questions as I'm supposed to be singular. I'm supposed to do one thing, be one thing. And I realized as I've gotten older that that's a box that I was not born to fit in. I'm not singular. I am multifaceted as a person. I'm multifaceted in my passions and my interests. And so my life is multifaceted. And I'm not doing a lot of things. I'm doing one thing rooted in one intention in many different ways. And so this podcast, All Her Words, EXI Concepts, that is one house with many rooms. And each of those rooms have their own purpose, right? And that's an idea that I, I share and I push, um, I push often. This idea not only of duality, two things existing at once, but also the idea of multiplicity, multiple things existing and being true at one time. One of the aims of this first episode is to really share more about myself. I feel that I share so much online, but when I step back, I realize that a lot of the times I'm sharing reflections, kind of where I ended up at the end of a journey. 
and um, I've, I've not often told the whole process or everything that led up to that point. So in doing my best to keep to time, I'm going to try to keep this first episode to 30 minutes. I'm going to backtrack and give a overview of my story and just where I've been and how where I've been got me here. So born in California, Los Angeles, California. When I was, I think, in elementary school, my mom moved my eldest sister and I out to Lake Elsinore, which is a little town in Riverside County. Um, And that was a huge culture shock and adjustment. Lake Elsinore is not culturally diverse at all. I was the little brown girl in a sea of whiteness. And in that space, I was never acceptable. I was never okay. I experienced a lot of racism um, and experienced a lot of trauma, which honestly I'm still working through and healing from. But one of my mother's favorite quotes is from the movie Mulan, the Disney movie Mulan. And the quote goes, the flower that blooms in adversity is the most rare and beautiful of all. So in this life, I do not carry those bad experiences with me as heavy wounds and scars. I carry them as badges of honor because they are what have helped make me into who I am. Um, Fast forward, the summer before my senior year in high school, went to Notre Dame High in Riverside. I, well, junior year, I decided that I was ready to leave home. I had been a dancer for most of my life. My mom put me in dance classes at three years old. The form of dance that I accelerated in was classical ballet. In my junior year, I decided that that summer, I wanted to go and do a summer intensive. Uh, I think I was on the phone with someone and had mentioned that I would love to go to New York. My mom overheard that. She got on it. She researched all of the summer programs in New York, which included Juilliard. Um, There was one other one and Dance Theater of Harlem. And also in Los Angeles, Debbie Allen Dance Academy. I went to an in-person audition for Debbie Allen. I sent a tape in for Dance Theater Harlem. I got accepted to both Debbie and Dance Theater. I decided to accept Dance Theater Harlem because it would take me out of my environment, um, take me to New York. And so the summer before my senior year of high school, I went to New York for a six-week summer intensive with the Dance Theater Harlem. At the end of the six weeks, Levine Naidu, the artistic director at the time, invited me to stay and train with the dance theater so that I could be groomed for the first company. I called my mom. Mom was about it. I came home. I packed my stuff. I figured out how I was going to finish out my high school curriculum in New York. And that was it. And I ended up staying in New York for 13 years. Um... I, at some point, decided to put 
away my point shoes for many reasons. We'll probably get into that in at some point later in the season. And I continued my undergrad studies at Fordham University. I studied sociology. Um, my sister's an AKA. She's got sorors all over the place. One of them included Tanji Murray, who was the former executive director of Rush Philanthropic, a arts foundation that was started by Russell Simmons, Danny Simmons, and Rev Run. Um, I stayed with Tanji for the first few months when I was, well, I stayed with Tanji for the entire summer while I was studying with dance theater. And at that time she worked at a nonprofit called Shine. And so I would tag along with her, go volunteer my time that turned into an internship. At some point in time, she transferred over to Rush Philanthropic and I hit her up and said, do you need help? What are you doing? And I started interning at Rush Philanthropic. After I graduated undergrad, I switched over to full-time at Rush Philanthropic and I worked in that office for eight years. And then once I left, that's actually when my entrepreneurial journey started. And let me put a pin in this right here because this is not something I talk about often. I did not want to go independent. That was a plan in the future, but that wasn't a plan in 2010 when I made the decision to take that leap. 2010 was the year of the recession. I think the recession maybe started in 2009, continued. I don't remember the the dates historically, but I had reached a bit of a plateau at Rush. And I got to a point where it was going to be best for both my mental and emotional health that I move on from my position there. And um, I started the job hunt. And at the time, I thought that the reason why I couldn't get a job was because I was not good enough, that I didn't have the right qualifications. In hindsight, and going back and thinking about what would be said when they got back to me about not getting the job, was that I was overqualified. And because of the financial strain on the economy, they were not willing and or able to pay me what I was worth. So I kind of got to a breaking point where I knew that if I stayed at that job, it was going to begin to compromise me uh, mentally, emotionally, and compromise my relationships. And so it was time to go. And to be quite honest, how all that happened and the mental and emotional strain was not something that I was ever transparent about with my with the team at that time. Being young, still in my 20s, I didn't know how to really communicate that. I didn't know how to communicate the strain that the work and also the furloughs that we had been going through because of the recession were just really putting on me. I didn't know how to tell them that 
I, you know, that I needed more money, that I was struggling, that, you know, the hours that I was that I was putting in were just were not working for me. So I set a date for when I needed to save X amount of cash so that by X date I could put in my month's notice and start 2011 on my own with enough cash to float me for a couple of months before I found my groove into life as an independent. So that, let me see, I went to New York, I think in 2010 or 2011, graduated in 2000, no, wait. (laughs) My math is all the way wrong. I went to New York in 2001. I graduated in 2006, I think, and worked for Rush for eight years, six. My math is off, so let's not do the math. But that's about... um, Mm, that's about 10 years, right? So I just kind of gave uh, an abbreviated overview for 10 years of my life there in New York. Fast forward again, and this is where I think my the journey on this path first began. I reached a point at which me and New York were no longer in agreement. Our energies weren't the same. The hustle that existed in me when I was 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23 was not the same. My spirit was different. My goals were different. The things that I wanted to achieve were different. And I came home for Christmas break one year. It had to be 2013, Christmas 2013. And usually when I would leave New York and come home for a break, I could be home for like a week, a week and a half. And then I'd be like, "Ooh, itching. Like, okay, I got to get back. I'm ready to get back to New York. This time I did not want to go back. I remember my mom went to drop me off at the airport and I like in saying goodbye to her, I burst into tears and she was kind of taken aback by that and was just like, oh, you like something's really going on. You really you're 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 ready to to go. You're ready to to change. But in being that at that time, I was approaching living in New York for 13 years. New York was home. I say all the time that. I was born in California, born in L.A., but bred in New York City because I became a woman in New York City. I learned who I was amongst all the people and all the lights and working in entertainment industry. I saw a lot. Um, I grew a lot. I experienced a lot. I learned a lot about myself, who I wanted to be, who I was, who I wasn't there And there, I was ISIS, right? 
let's back up and talk about that a little bit. When I went from middle school to high school, I decided that I no longer wanted to be any afe. Eniafe represented something that I wanted to get away from. Eniafe was this girl who was ostracized, who was ridiculed, who experienced a lot of things that had broken her down. But Isis was this new woman. She, or new girl, she could start fresh. She could more so dictate her story, how how she showed up, how she was for people, how how people thought of her. So when I got to high school, that's when I started using Isis as my name. And when I moved back home, I was catching up with um, my bestie Jason in New York. Shout out to J-Rod. And he said something to me to the effect, it must be super interesting to be back home with your family where they know you as a totally different person than we knew you here. And my mind was like, because the adjustment in coming home was hard. And not only because my friend fam wasn't here, not only because I had to start over professionally, not only because I still had withdrawals from New York, but also didn't want to go back to New York and also didn't feel at home here. Not only because of all of that, but because here, I wasn't ISIS. I wasn't necessarily this independent woman who went to all the fly parties, knew all the fly people, lived, you know, lived this life. I was Eniafe, daughter, sister, auntie. I was that. And I hadn't been that for so long. And so it was this interesting kind of unraveling of myself in a way that I'd never experienced before because I had only known myself and others had only known me and interacted with me within this kind of set of roles. And now I had moved home, which was very comfortable in some ways, but also uncomfortable in other ways because I was in this set of roles that I hadn't been in in 13 years. And so moving home was a huge adjustment. First year, I couldn't really sit with all the ways in which I had changed and that mood had cha- that move had changed me because I had an opportunity to work on a new festival out in Las Vegas called Life is Beautiful. And so while I was home, I often wasn't home. I, I spent most of my time in Las Vegas working on production for this festival. In 2014, uh, it was on its second year. So literally in the beginning stages of working on a festival, just <laughs> feeding all of my my heart and soul and everything that I had, all the knowledge and expertise that I had acquired in my professional life, putting that into building the division of the festival that I kind of oversaw. 
And um, so it wasn't until 2015 when I got back home, that festival was done. I had a lull in my schedule and I got to really sit with myself. And I was like, shit, what did I do? And in 2015, I experienced a depression that I almost didn't make it out of. So we're at the 25 minute mark. There were some questions that I got from my IG fam that I wanna address before we end this first episode. And actually this uh, first episode will be a part one and then we're gonna have a part two and a discussion that I, and part two will be a conversation with Osha, who's one of the uh, individuals I gave gratitude and mentioned in the beginning. She will be joining for episode one, part two. And we're going to um, get a little bit more into my journey as well as hers, bring in a few gems from her um, on that episode. But now I wanna get into these questions that the IG fam wanted me to address. So, okay. How do you protect your spirit? Um, first of all, it's taken me some time to really understand my spirit self from my ego self. So my heart and my mind. And that's actually, that duality is something that I learned a lot about in therapy. One of the things that was very evident when I first started therapy and that my therapist uh, just really put in front of me was that my mind and my heart were always almost at two opposite ends. And a lot of what I was dealing with during that during my depression and in my constant kind of um, battle to not go back there was my heart and my mind being like this. And one thing that it presented to me is something that my mother has always said, and this is who she is, and as her daughter and being raised by her, this is also who I am. We are more spirit beings and heart beings than we are mind we operate from our heart more than we do from our mind. And so to constantly be at odds with my heart and constantly siding with my mind took me into a, ver a, a, a place that did not allow me to grow. Um, so now understanding more about myself and my spirit, how I protect it is, first of all, um, negativity. I don't bode well with a lot of negative energy. And that's not saying that 
I believe that we have to be overly positive because that's that doesn't work either. But I do believe that there's a way in which we deal with life that either in our mind we say, why is everything happening to me? And instead looking at it like my mother would and, okay, what is this teaching me? And how am I going to grow through it? Or how am I going to move through it? I think there's a difference between negativity and honesty. I believe that for me, especially, I always have to be honest with where I am and what I'm feeling. But especially when that feeling is harmful to myself and others around me, I have to make the, the choice in not staying in that feeling and figuring out how I'm going to move through it. So... I protect my spirit by understanding it and then understanding what either adds to it or takes away from it and then removing those things that take away from it. Very long-winded answer to that question. What made me fall in love with poetry? Um, So I remember the day that I was at home And I was going through my mother's closet. I don't know. I was looking for something. And I pulled out this bound book, like Kinko's Bound book of pages. And I opened it up. And it was all this poetry that my mother had written. And one of the first pieces I remember reading is where she reflects on the gas crisis in the 80s or the 70s. And she's writing this whole recollection of what it was to be struggling to find gas and finding this this bound book of words from my mother. She became someone else. She wasn't my mother. She was this woman that I had never known. And I'd always been an an avid reader. My mom reads a lot. And so um, we read a lot. And these words were different, though, because these were hers. And I just remember being like just in awe. And I think that was the first time that words became more than just these letters in a book that told a story that allowed me to kind of transfer and get out of my reality. They became portals into someone's life, into the life of my mother. And I was just still, I think about that and I get tingles and it just, it changed me. It, it changed me. And I think that's officially when I fell in love with poetry. Why won't I own the title of poet? So funny thing is that my Instagram um, bio line, I'm not a poet, but I write a lot, came as, as sort of a joke because 
other people kept on putting that title on me. And that was that was before I really started writing purposefully and deliberately and really working on my craft, so to speak. And I would always say, I'm not a poet, y'all. I'm not a poet. And so when I updated my Instagram handle name to Eniafe Isis. Before that, I think it was the E dot because my name would always be written as E dot Isis. So it was the E dot. I jokingly added that. Like, I'm not a poet, but I write a lot. And it was kind of catchy. I was like, I got bars. Let me put this, put this in the, in the bio line. But now it's, it's, <laughs> it's become a thing that I'm, that people often want to argue me down on. And one thing that it, it makes very clear is that we have a th- thing for putting people in boxes, in the boxes that make sense for us to identify them and give them a role and a place. And when they fight against the boundaries of that box, it often becomes a big problem. But this is the thing, that title means nothing. It's just a title, it's not who I am. And I never wanna subscribe to a title because titles can be taken away. And if I am a title and that title gets taken away, then who I am also is taken away. So while no, I do not look at myself as a poet, I also hold poets at very high regard. And I think that that title is something that's earned through honing your craft. I am a writer. I write daily, hourly. I write all the time. And writer is not a title. Writer is literary, literally a state of being for me. So that's why I don't own the title poet. Um, And also right now, how I write just happens, I think, to be coming out as poetry. Usually what I post um, on socials are pieces of larger thoughts that I've written down. And that just has and that just happens to be almost like a pull quote of that thought. And it comes out poetry-esque. How has, excuse me, how has family culture influenced your life? How has family slash culture influenced my life? So um, my father is Nigerian, Yoruba. My mother is American, but Native American. We grew up in a very spiritually rooted home. That deeply influenced my life. From how we moved to how we thought to how we interacted. Um, I realized as I grew up and just started living with other people and being in other people's homes that we lived in a very quiet home. We also, my, my sister and I are 11 years apart. So her life with my mother and my life with my mother, a little bit different because there was that gap. Um, but my my life with my mother it was we more often than not for most of the years before leaving home did not have a television it was just um an item with a price tag that 
my mother wasn't going to put funds towards. We, um, would have been classified more so as lower income. And the things that my mother invested in were education and extracurricular activities. So my school and my dancing were those two things and books. (laughs) Anything that pretty much fell outside of that was foregone. Um, And so there wasn't there wasn't TV constantly on. We did always have music playing. KPFK was the soundtrack in our home. Um, KPFK is an independent news radio station, and they have the news. They have live storytelling. They have music, salsa, merengue, African world beats. They play everything. That was if there was any sound outside of the sound of our voices or the sound of water running or the sound of mom cooking, um, that was the sound. She woke up and meditated. Didn't necessarily know that that's what it was called. I just know that I would wake up in the morning. The front door would be open. We had a screen door. She'd be sitting out on the porch in silence. And I knew that I was not to interrupt that. We also had quiet hours. So after 9 p.m., we were to shut it down. I was a night owl, still am though. So I'd always be coming to her at like 9, 30, 10 p.m. Like, mom, can you help me with this homework? So very spiritually rooted. My mom has probably studied every religion under the sun. And so in different ways, those spiritual teachings would come out in in how she advised us and in what she taught us. So my family culture has influenced my life in so many ways. I think, to quote my sister, she said something to the effect of everything that's trending now as far as health and wellness were what we were seeped in. We knew about vegetarianism. My mom made balanced meals. We only ate brown rice and vegetables with some sort of protein. Um, there was no processed food. We did not We did not do sugar. There was no juice except fresh juice. There was no, um, there was no soda ever. I, I don't know when's the first time I had soda. Not a lot of sugar, although Frosted Flakes is like her favorite cereal. So like Frosted Flakes would be a little treat for us. Um, just all the things that are now very popular as far as holistic living was how my mother raised us. And I think that that is very culturally rooted for us. I could go on and on in this question, but we're now at 39 minutes. So I want to get to the, this last question. What made me do a podcast? So as I mentioned in the beginning, it was that young woman who wrote me a dissertation in my DMs about why I needed to do a podcast. And I really allowed what she said to reach me. And that was when I said, okay, let's just, let's, let's, let's try it on for size. Let's see about this. Also though, is this idea of influence. I wrote a while ago about the idea of influence and how 
I perceived it and how I saw it being uh, exhibited, right? And the question that I asked is, what is influence without impact? And what is impact other than a provision of something that does not exist already? So a provision of resources, a provision of information. And do I want to be influential or do I want to be impactful? And I decided I wanted to be impactful. And so the whole premise of this podcast is providing platform for individuals that are often not seen and not heard to share their journeys and the knowledge that has been gained that is valuable, that if it were to be passed on to someone else, could help someone else change their path, could provide access and information that they would not have otherwise been provided to build community and connection and ultimately building an ecosystem that is based on us supporting each other, building knowledge, which is a currency, funneling that currency back into ourselves, into our communities, and ultimately allowing us to expand our reach, create more opportunity, and create wealth. And so the vision in the long scheme for this podcast and kind of the seeds that it will sow is vast. And that's what it's rooted in. It's rooted in moving from influence to impact and creating platform and exposure. So that's the answer to that. Okay, this ends season one, episode one, part one, mic check. I hope that this was beneficial. And I do apologize for the glare that is being created by the beautiful sun that has just come out outside and my wearing of my glasses. But I hope that this has been been beneficial I hope that in learning about me, it helped to you to learn something about yourself. I hope that there were some gems that were mined, and if not my gems, that it helps you dig deeper into your mind, M-I-N-E and M-I-N-D, and find some gems of your own. With every episode, I plan to wear um, a brand, an independent brand, and put y'all on if you don't know about that brand so this here hoodie that I made into an off-the-shoulder situation is from a brand called bad girl bad girl good human if you don't know about it go find out about it I am a huge huge fan of um the miss the mission and the message of this brand and um the founder 
and her product is just effortlessly fly. So bad girl, good human. Here we go. Thank you so much for tuning in. As our disclaimer in the beginning says, share freely, mine irresponsibly. I hope you guys do all of the sharing and do all of the mining. And we're going to see you back here for season one, episode one, part two. Thanks, everybody.